welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Stephen Taylor. Stephen has over 30 years experience in the Australian equipment rental industry, working at companies like RecAir, AH Plant Hire, National Hire, and today is the CEO of Adaptalift Group. Stephen, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal Podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry? Oh, Mark, great to be with you today and, and looking forward to the discussion. So my foray into the rental industry was pretty much straight out of uni. Uh, I'd worked my way through uni. I'd worked in, in restaurants and uh, worked in pretty fast-paced environments. And I was lucky enough to meet the Rec Air guys and get a start with the Rec Air guys, which would have been... I'm going to say probably about 91 now, Mark, and my first role was really working as a rental coordinator. And uh, I had the job at the front desk, working with transport, working with the drivers, working with the counter, and it was a fun time. It was a really fun time, and it was a lot to to take in at the time, but um, I did that for about 12 months, and then 12 months later, uh, the decision was really to put me on the road. So I went into sales and sales was terrific. So I'm just thinking back now, Mark, we've probably got about three different roles that I did in sales. I started off as a geographic rep working out in Brooklyn, and uh, Brooklyn was the western suburbs of Melbourne, which for me was a terrific eye-opener. I hadn't really had a lot of exposure to, to you know, heavy industry uh, as, a, as a younger guy, so working uh, out with a lot of the heavy industry customers out in the petrochem area, and back then, Melbourne had a really strong production environment. So working with a lot of the tyre companies, uh, paper manufacturing, uh, a lot of the plastics uh, environments, they were all very active users of, uh, of rental equipment. You know, primarily access equipment, but certainly general rental was was a big part of that. So you know, my journey from there was very much that uh, I had some success, which was uh, which was really pleasing, and I managed to to get. You know, a bit of a pathway in terms of my career uh, happening with the with the Rec Air guys. So, I eventually ended up in probably what was then the most senior um, sales role uh, within the the Rec Air Victoria business, which was looking after all of the really big builders, uh, which uh, which used to be known as as the CBD, um, you know, major accounts role. So, I was in the major accounts role with Rec Air for for you know, I'm going to say it was at least three and a half years. And and that was just a wonderful period in Melbourne. You know, we had the casino at that stage being built. We had the City Link project that was happening at the time. Uh, we had a, a massive influx of uh, of projects which were happening. So, from an exposure point of view, it, it was just one of those experiences where, as a young person, I was just taking it all in, and uh, and I was just, you know, it was so excited about what was happening around me. So, uh, and, and and it was a real level of, of purpose and a real level of identity within our group too. You know, the rec air group that we had going at that stage was a real balance of very competitive people, but ultimately terrific team players too. So, you know, for again, for a young person in that environment, I felt really privileged, probably more privileged with the benefit of hindsight, Mark. But that period of, of my working life was, I look back on extremely fondly. Uh, so, um, so that was, uh, again, took us pretty much through until 
um, there was an opportunity for me again in the rec air business to move back into operations and I always had a desire to to try and broaden my skill set from sales and take that skill set across to, to operations. So I ended up managing the South Melbourne branch, which was a really vibrant branch in the in the rec air business. Uh, I looked after Bayswater, Camberfield uh, and, and uh, Danny Nong. And essentially, I had a lot of our smaller branches that I was responsible for. So I think back in the back in the day, Mark, the, the, the job role that I had was a senior branch manager. So for, from a skill point of view, getting exposure to safety, getting exposure to asset management, getting exposure to a lot of the financials that sit behind running a rental business. Again, I thought that was just a terrific opportunity, um, again, for a, for a guy at that stage who was in my young 20s. Hey, Rental Journal podcast listeners. Did you know that most salespeople spend less than 50% of their time actually selling? Arrow lives at the intersection of your systems you use most. So you can replace the many with one just simple, powerful tool. Generate, manage, and close deals inside Arrow. Manage inventory and send quotes in just three clicks. Not only is Arrow a sales tool, but it's also a growth tool. Run marketing campaigns right out of Arrow to your ad and social accounts, text and share products with customers directly, and get text responses in Arrow chat. Best of all, no data entry. Finally, a powerful way to close deals from anywhere. Unlock your growth with Arrow, the tool built for the heavy equipment industry to generate, manage, and close big deals in a simple, powerful way. Enjoy the rest of the podcast, but be sure to shoot Arrow a DM on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn to learn more. To get great business experience. Uh, and, you know, just like my sales experience, I had, had wonderful support behind me uh, within the general rec air team. So I, I actually ended up being, uh, being given an opportunity to take on the state operations role at, at, at RecAir, which was which is a fairly all-encompassing role. It was responsible for the whole state of Victoria, and, and Victoria was a very strong state for RecAir. And uh, that journey uh, again was was just a, a great exposure. Uh, and you know, I felt very much at that stage that the RecAir business in Victoria was was really quite a, a dominant force uh, within uh, within the rental industry. So there was a lot of pride you know, associated with our teams too. So so I I felt like a lot of you know people that are probably nudging 30 that I'd I'd had a, a wonderful time and a great experience with uh, with Rec Air, but uh, but I knew that things were afoot and I and Brambles at that stage was actually divesting a lot of their their rental businesses. So the forklift business uh, had already been disposed. Mark, it was it was fairly common knowledge that the rec air business was for sale, and um, and and for me that felt very much like it was probably a, a point in time where I needed to go and and do other things. So um, so come the end of uh, of of my my time at rec air, I actually went out consulting for a, for a couple of years, which uh, which again was was terrific from an exposure point of view. I got a lot of exposure to other businesses and. And having been in the same environment for, for pretty much my old 20s, again, it was a great learning experience. I, I consulted to Toll. I consulted to, you know, a number of other businesses that, that were in supply chain and, uh, and and managed to learn quite a bit about supply chain during that period. My love and passion for rental had never gone. And uh, I think it is one of those industries where a lot of people say, you know, once it's in the DNA, it's in the DNA. Uh so uh, it, it, interestingly enough, a, a management team 
that was comprised of a lot of old rec air people had made their way over to a business called AH Plant Hire. Um, and AH Plant Hire, the, the history of that business was it was actually uh, originally a spin-off of the Victorian government's plant hire division that was privatised under the Kennett government. And, uh, and so that uh, was a business that I'd actually seen developing while I was at rec air. Uh, and it was a business that I'd followed their their progress with some interest. So when an opportunity came to to join the AH business, my original role over there was actually as a national operations manager. So I had responsibility for for all of our assets. I had responsibility for running a lot of our analysis across the fleet. I was responsible for procurement and disposal of assets. Uh, and that was actually another dimension. You know, on top of the sales experience and the operations experience. Uh, so I felt like I heard one of your other guests come on and he talked about a bit of an unconventional introduction into uh, into the rental industry. I, I tend to think, Mark, I had a very almost classical introduction to the rental industry. I had, you know, exposure in a number of different areas. So uh, so I looked after the national operations team and I had plant high and that was a a very dynamic period for that business. Uh, it was a business that, you know, if I'm really honest, Mark, it was it was quite run down, and we had a mandate to turn that business around and really put some energy and and put some um, vigour into that business. Uh, so so we we did a lot of fleet changeover. We bought in a lot of new equipment. We disposed of a lot of new equipment. We also did a lot of work around sales culture and bringing sales excellence into that business because they had some wonderful you know, operations people, some outstanding operations people. But the sales culture of the business was something that you know, we really needed to keep on developing and to keep on fostering. Uh, and it was, it was probably one of my proudest uh, achievements was to be involved in seeing you know, what I felt the whole team uh, of the AH Plant High business did um, during the period that I was there, I ended up running the, the southern region of, of, of AH Plant High. So I ended up having responsibility for Victoria, Tasmania and South Australia. And um, and we had a situation, Mark, where, you know, our results weren't that great. Um, and and, and we, we had a period in the economy that I think the economy got quite strong. So we, we did definitely have some some strong tailwinds to help us but but we ended up with some outstanding results within that business we you know had a customer base that was very engaged with us we had a very engaged team and uh, you know I was very very proud of that period um, and uh, you know ultimately Mark we, we did sell that business and I was I was involved with the um, you know the team that was was part of, of, of being sold and ultimately we were sold uh, across into the national hire business at that stage. Uh, national hire was uh, fairly fresh off off the acquisition of all life. National hire itself, I think, it had grown quite a lot. And uh, and again, you know, I worked with the team during the integration period, uh, which was uh, which was you know it was a lot going on at that stage, uh, Mark. You having a lot of businesses coming together. Um, but for me personally, you know, some terrific learnings around integration of rental businesses, some great learnings around people. Uh, and, you know, you know, I probably went from a, a very, very high point, Mark, during the AH business to probably a much tougher period 
during the national hire period, but probably some of my greatest lessons about being involved in business and being involved in rental businesses, I think, actually came from that tough period. Uh, and I think, you know, any business person who's been around long enough would, I think, reflect on the tough periods and say those learnings are hopefully the learnings that have, have actually stuck with them and uh, and they've been a great guide for the future. Um, so so I worked with the, with the National Hire team uh, for, for, you know, quite some time. We, we still had a, a lot of work to do uh, within that business, but, uh, you know, ultimately for me, Mark, um, I felt probably like my, my journey had uh, had come to an end there, um, and uh, it was it was an opportunity to do some other things too. Um, so, I I had a relationship uh, with a business called Adaptolift through primarily my rec air days, and uh, and I always kept an eye on this business. And uh, they were in the forklift industry, and they were you know in a in quite a different industry. And uh, and we we very much I'd been following their growth and I'd, I'd travel around you know Australia and I'd see oh Adaptolift's opened another branch and they were well presented branches the um, the look and feel of the business looked like it was a business on the move so so I, I was in contact um, with, with Adaptolift and uh, and and you know we had talks for quite some time and uh, eventually the owners of the business uh, asked me to come on and do a role. Uh, in that business, which was essentially looking after all of our national group business development. So it was actually going back into a pure sales role. Uh, and I, I went from having big teams at AH Plant Hire and National Hire to having no teams. Um, and um, and it was it was back, you know, hitting the streets again, Mark, and uh, and hitting doors and hitting desks and doing the, the hard yards in terms of developing pipelines and and uh, but but again, we we had some some great successes um, across in my first couple of years with uh, with Adaptolift, and uh, and that was uh, it was a terrific period. What a great story! And there's a few nuggets here that I want to laser into. So I've heard the name Rec Air Hire a few times on the podcast from other guests, but I've never asked this question. So I'm going to ask you. So we'll see if you know the answer. So why is it called Rec Air? I think the the genesis of that goes back to to wheel and the wrecker, Mark, and uh, and if I've, I've definitely had this history lesson before. So um, the history of of wreck air uh, went back to wheel and the wrecker was was I think quite a famous demolition company uh, in uh, in Melbourne uh, in particular, I think, uh, and uh, wheel and the wrecker started to get involved with with some rental and again if, if if my recollection of this history is right i think that i think it may have been compressors in the first instance so the the, the wreck would have been from wheel on the wrecker i think the air would have been from the compressed air mark and and the hire obviously was the fact we started to do higher activity and mm. uh and there was a lot of a lot of um you know very wise and very experienced folk who'd actually been around rec air for a long time when I was there and uh, and they they told great tales mark of, of sort of the the evolution of that business you know well before I joined it and you know it, it was it was very interesting because it was part of a big corporate company but it to me it was very much a company that was family orientated uh, for, for a long time I felt it was very family orientated you know and I felt we, we were one big family uh, so the uh, that would be my recollection of history, Mark. I may be off track there. 
And uh, sure. I'm if, sure if some will correct us. I was going to say, if some of the, the old rec air aficionados are out there, uh, I'd welcome uh, any any uh, restatement of the facts there if, uh, if there are more to add. And so you mentioned with AH Plan Hire that it was linked to the government originally. So, so what was that initiative? How did that work? Yeah, so that that was very much the initial part of that business. So the at that stage, the Kennett government, Mark, had a government mandate to privatise a lot of businesses that were seen by the government as quite unproductive. And the um, Vic Roads plant hire division was one of those. You know, there was many other businesses, but it just so happened that uh, that, that was one of the divisions that was under privatisation. Interesting enough, the South Australian government went in the same direction as well and privatised their plant hire division as well, which which also included their mechanics and included their um, uh, locations where they were. So the the genesis of the business was that it was born out of that. It was it went was under a couple of slightly different ownership structures. It ultimately ended up in a in a in the Nilex business mark, which was was by the time I joined AH Plant Hire, it was actually in the ownership of Nilex and uh, but the that that was a fascinating journey in terms of culture because as I mentioned Mark we had some incredibly knowledgeable people in the AH plant high business you know some people again I'm still in in contact with uh, and uh, but it was it, it it had many of the hallmarks I suppose of of a public company or, or a publicly owned company when we were first doing it so a lot of our mandate you know, and that business was about change management and it was about looking at efficiency and productivity and looking at systems and processes and looking at some of those really hardcore rental principles like utilisation and, you know, average capital dollar utilisation, time utilisation, uh, looking very much at our R&M practices, you know, and, and the way that R&M was delivered as a service uh, and, and ultimately, also looking at things like customer service and sales and relationships. So, it was it was a business that I would call very operationally strong, but we really had to take it more into that private mindset uh, and bring it to dealing with a customer base, which was essentially non-government customer base. We still had government customers, but the non-government customers started to become a much bigger force in that business by the time. By the time we sold it, um, and uh, but it was a it was a fascinating case study for me because I don't think you get a lot of examples like that, and uh, quite often rental businesses are kind of an entrepreneur starts it, and then you know if they want to dispose of it at some point, it might get rolled into a bigger business, but but it's it's not often I've seen examples where um, you know what was formerly a public a publicly owned. Uh, entities actually rolled into a privatised structure, so it's quite fascinating. Uh, mm. But uh, but you know, and, and ultimately, you know, a lot of those people are still in the industry, Mark, and uh, they're still, you know, making great success in the industry too, which is which is tremendous to see. And then you mentioned that with AH Plant High, you were involved to a certain extent around the acquisition and the build up to that, and then the transaction. So there must have been a lot of learnings that you got just from that side of things of what it means to sell a business, what information they're looking at, uh, negotiating that, figuring out the culture, how you're going to convey that message to the business. Was there a lot of learnings during that time as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mentioned, um, you know, earlier, Mark, that uh, the, that 
that was probably that period where, you know, the learnings for me, I suppose, on the, the pre-acquisition stage is when you're dealing with a business that's at to that's to be sold. You know, a lot of the sensitivities around the people side of things are very heightened. Um, so things like you know the challenge of of motivating a a workforce um, that is 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 about to go through a sale process and you know, making sure you're trying to retain your very best people and, and looking at, you know, things that are, are, are really important to people. Uh, you know, we, we, we're in an environment where people are so incredibly important in the businesses we operate that those challenges on a, I'll say, pre-sale basis were becoming very prevalent. And people, of course, you know, they, they just want to understand what the future looks like, which is which is quite difficult to, to always be able to articulate that. And particularly... You know, if there's some limitations in terms of how much you, you affect it, uh, you certainly try and influence it. But, but ultimately, you know, acquisitions are, are a fairly dynamic situation, and you don't always have influence over every, everything that's occurring. So the, uh, you know, those the learning curve for me personally, you know, again from a, uh, a financial transaction perspective, from a uh, an understanding in terms of the uh, due diligence processes, the uh, the, the the real lead up if you like and uh, you know in that particular sale we even had to go through a, a special shareholder approval mark with the NILEC shareholders to actually approve the sale so so the um, it, was, it was quite technical uh, from that perspective so um, so definitely you know some really major um, learning curves for me some, some very very important learning curves as well uh, and again they're, they're learnings that I think I've, I've kept you know, to this day, and uh, and and hopefully, you know, I'll continue to use uh, along my journey too as well. And so it must have seemed like Coates was basically following you with his acquisition path. Everywhere you went, they they wanted to buy the company, and then eventually, obviously, with National Hire acquiring Coates and them getting merged together. Like during that whole period of time, like what do you think was your fondest memory? Because there was a lot of companies you were involved with, big companies as well. So like when you think mm. back to it, like what what do you really remember? I think I think definitely think the incredible bondedness that the management team of AH Plant High had was definitely a highlight during during that period for me. It was a very high performing team, and when I say high performing, I'm talking about the whole organisation was high performing, and uh, and I, and they were they were performing at a level whereby the engagement was was just tremendous, you know, and. And we, it was, it was really interesting because the, the business we knew it was never going to stay like that forever. You know, it, it wasn't a uh, situation where where we were we were looking after a business mark where we expected that it would be there in ten or fifteen years. It was, it wasn't spoken about openly, and it certainly wasn't spoken about on a daily basis. But it was fairly well understood that at some point in time, this business w- wouldn't remain as it currently currently sits so for me just seeing the level of engagement that we had there and the, the performance levels were just outstanding and I, and I say that right across the business so you know for me to start to see from a leadership point of view that whole influence and the the you know the real cultural engagement that we had oh that was so so satisfying it was it was probably the, the it was probably the period mark where the real, the penny just dropped for me that uh Seeing a team, you know, in full flight, um, performing at the top of their game, was so personally rewarding. 
Um, and uh, and and for me, that's definitely during that period. You know, my fondest my fondest moment uh, and my fondest uh, memory of that period. Um, you know, and again, you know, a, a lot of the the, the people that uh, that I worked with during that period have gone off to do other things, and quite a few of them are still very much involved with the rental industry and uh, and and occupy you know a range of different roles, and and some have actually stepped outside of the rental industry. So. But uh, that was a particularly fond memory for me, and uh, and I came away from that experience just all the better for it. Yeah, I can imagine. So you mentioned following that transition, you you worked at Adaptalift, and you you went back to knocking on doors. Really, like you went from having a big team to having a lot smaller team. What was there a like? It's not a negative, but was that a hit to the ego? Like, what, where did it sort of go from there? Like, what did you because you you managing this the southern region? And then you decided to jump back into a smaller role. So talk me through that, like how you were managing that personally for yourself. Yeah, I, I think again it was really good for me, Mark. So, so I mean, the, the role was incredibly important to adapt to lift because the role was really looking after the top echelon of Australian industrial customers. So, you know, the Vizies, the Amcors, the Amcor. Obviously, it's a different company nowadays, but but uh, back then, Amcor was was again a very big company, uh, looking after a councillor Coca Cola, uh, looking after um, you know some some real heavy hitters in the Australian industry. I think the thing that I really enjoyed about doing that, Mark, was just that general business exposure again. So it was probably a lot less on the people management side, but I loved getting back into seeing what other businesses were doing. And I got a real kick out of engaging with with you know businesses um, and understanding where their businesses sat, understanding what they were trying to achieve. From a sales point of view, it was a very very different sales process when we're talking about fleet and large fleets, Mark, that are contracted potentially for five five years. The sale transaction process is inherently quite a long cycle, complicated sale process. So again, you know, my first my first six months, uh, I'm I'm honest enough to say it was it was a great again for me. It was wonderful because there's nothing more humbling, you know, for a business person to start with an empty sheet again. To to literally start with an empty sheet and say, okay, Steve, here's your here's your 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 agenda. This is your mission. You're starting from scratch. So six first six months in terms of of my work at Adapter Left was just hard yakka and and it was just putting myself into that um top gear in terms of output um working the 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 hours and and doing the grind that i needed to do and what i found mark was was again you know probably the the second six months of, of my first year um working in that role everything clicked it was it was one of those situations where i i want to a deal with a very large agricultural business who's still a great client today for a fleet of about 300 forklifts on a, on on about a, what's ended up being a 10-year deal, and uh, we had a lot of different successes, uh, which all fell at the same time. All, all new business, so so we were bringing a lot of new business to the to the company at that stage, and uh, and again it it actually got to a point, Mark, where I had to employ more people because I I, I just maxed out. I, I could, I could, my bandwidth hit a point where I went, I can't keep up with it. So, um, and I, and then the, the real bit that I need to point out to Mark is that the support that I had from, you know, the Whiffen family, who are the owners of Adapter Left, 
was just fantastic. I mean, I had so much support. You know, I'd have the nine o'clock sitting in the boardroom crunching numbers on deals and things. It was it was that kind of level of support, which I think, uh, you know, I, I look at that and go, well, well, you know, my, a lot of my objective is to pass that kind of support on to my people. Uh, but that was a real key ingredient for me in uh, in being in having that success, and uh, and you know we we actually had a pretty major event, Mark. We 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 went into mid two thousand and nine, and we'd been working on this again in the background. We'd been concentrating on the day to days, but we had a very large acquisition opportunity where the manufacturer Heister Yale wanted to sell two materials handling businesses in, in Australia. Um, at the at the same time, so we had the National Fleet Network business, which ironically was the old Brambles forklift business that I'd been associated with years before, and Heister also wanted to divest their dealerships in Australia, um, starting with the Heister dealerships. So we actually made that transaction happen. Um, so if, if anything, Mark, if if my, my recollection of history is right. I went from from doing all all the hard grind on new biz, and then I ended up getting involved in the acquisition. So, um, yeah, so so it was it was a little bit of a gear shift um, around that time as well. So, and uh, you know that was a really an interesting acquisition because both businesses, I would say, were good businesses that that probably needed need work. So we, we were buying them at a point where. You know they really did need some work. So, you know, a lot of my my business development activities post acquisition actually turned into working with existing clients and harmonising integration, and you know, still working on business development. But a lot of it was quite a gear shift, and uh, and a lot of the work was really about re-establishing relationships with existing customers and understanding their pain points and and trying to harmonise our organisation to support them too. Uh, which, which again, I look back on Mark. It was actually a really tough period. You know, we did some some um, heavy lifting uh, during that period. But again, you know, with the history and the benefit uh, of looking back on it now, I'm really really pleased that we went through that. Yeah, I can imagine all those learnings from the early days would have assisted you so much during a a transition or a period like that as well. And I think it's important to to give the listeners a bit of a an overview because we have a lot of international guests as well that, that listen to the podcast just to give a rundown of of an or, or an overview of adaptive heister and what market it serves because yeah. i think they're getting the gist that it's a material handling business but it's probably best for you just to give that that spiel about the overview of the business yeah very, very true mark thanks for, for for raising that question so adapter lift is is a family-owned organization it, it's a you know what i would call very much an australian success story um, you know the the genesis of the business actually started in forklift engineering. Uh, so the the early incarnations of Adaptolift were manufacturing forklift attachments, and a lot of uh, forklifts, particularly industrial applications, are used with it, with attachments. Peter and and Margaret, who who are still the owners of the business, uh, Peter and Margaret Whiffen, spotted an opportunity in the marketplace, uh, Mark, to actually rent equipment uh, and to rent rent materials handling. And probably a little bit like the, the the rental industry more generally, back in the in the 70s and the 80s, it was very fragmented. So so the adapter lift business really grew into a forklift fleet management business. So 
by the time I joined Adaptolift, it was a bona fide leader in terms of forklift fleet management and had a very, very established, very, very broad customer base. But most of the makeup of the business, Mark, was long-term rental. So it was more that five-year style agreement um, as opposed to what I'd come from, which is anything from a day, you know, generally up until about 12 months. So the materials handling specialisation of the business um, was was very much the, the core um, part of the business. Uh, and, you know, we had, had forklifts from pellet jacks through to brick stackers that work in the ports environments, lifting up containers, etc. But the winds of change were happening too, Mark. You know, we, we really could see that the strength of the manufacturers in the forklift industry were really starting to come through, particularly in, in the, you know, in, say, that mid-2005, 2007, 2008 period. So, you know, Adaptolift wisely um, knew that we actually had to have a change, hence the reason why, why we got involved with uh, forklift distribution. So... You know, the Heister Yale brand was was a very, very established and very strong brand. You're, any of your North American um, listeners will will very much associate with the Heister Yale brand, as will other international listeners. So, so we 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 were really pleased to get a marquee brand into our stable um, as a dealership, uh, and and that really marked a change in the Adaptolift business too, Mark, from being a uh, essentially a fleet manager and a fleet operator of, of materials handling equipment to being also a dealer uh, of equipment. Uh, and and, and that, that whole evolution, again, from a learning point of view, for me was just, again, it was a great eye-opener because I hadn't had a dealership background, um, you know, and so I, I really had to learn, you know, as much as I could about, about the dealership environment uh, and I would say all of Adaptolift had to learn a lot about running a dealership too. Yeah, I can imagine like this, this, it sounds like there's just so many points in time where there was consistent learning. And I think Andy Kennard actually mentioned this on his podcast. He said, the key to success is to always be learning, always be challenging yourself, always trying to improve and innovate. And if you if you don't have those little milestones where you're trying to innovate or learn or challenge yourself, it it can limit to where you take yourself and and like today you're the ceo of adaptive like was that something that you ever envisaged would be the the, the role that you would turn into even in the early days uh, i i'd say I, I, no because i i don't think i had in my mind that 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 was what i was going to be i think think um you know life is 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 dynamic and uh you know the the world is dynamic and you know w- what i did know mark was that was that i was you know, I brought a lot of energy and a lot of vigor to what I to what I did. I think I was very much getting my kicks out of dealing with groups of people and dealing with, I suppose, collective results. You know, as opposed to individual contribution. So, you know, I, I was, you know, I was very, very much of the view I wanted to to keep on on you know exploring and and finding new opportunities. I wanted to make sure that I, I, I added as much as I could to, um, you know, to, to um, adapt to lift and, and the business's development. And it just so happened, I th- if, if, I'm, if I look at it, Mark, I think we were just, compatibility is an enormous reason why 
people stick together. And in, from a career point of view, I think sometimes that career evolution in terms of, of why people end up in certain roles and, and a lot of it is genuinely down to the way that personalities work together and the way that the results of the business come together from that kind of collaboration. You know, And, and in my instance, with Adaptalift, um, it just so happened that, that we had great cohesion and we were able to work very, very well together. We, we were quite aligned in terms of, of things like core values and our, and our beliefs around the way you, that you run businesses, for example. So I think my progression into, into my current role, Mark, is, is symbolic of the fact that those things were, were happening and that they were in play and that that compatibility um, was something that, that we all check, we all check in with each other on that quite regularly and just make sure, you know, that it, is everything still working the way we want it to work. But, uh, but, but ultimately, I think that has a, a lot to do with the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, there's, there's lots of those situations that occur. You know, I, I think I, I always had the, the right kind of foundations. I had lots of energy, lots of drive. I had lots of, of desire to achieve. I, I, think, I think, you know, I worked really hard in terms of, of things like that relationship and people side. But, but I, I, I would honestly say, Mark, I think, you know, that what I'm doing today is probably an outcome of, of a dynamic that, that just was, was working. Yeah, I had Gary Kerr on the podcast, and I, I've mentioned this a few times. So he, he said uh, that the harder he worked, the luckier he got. Definitely agree with that comment. And, uh, you know, there's, there is no substitute still for hard work. And, you know, hard work, some, some, sometimes I look at, you know, some of our big IT projects, Mark, and I think they're actually some of the hardest work that we do because, you know, they're not instantly rewarding. You know, transformational work in any organisation is, is darn hard. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of brain power that goes into it. You know, and then you look at the physical side of the work that you know, all of our people do and you go, well, they're working hard too. So, so you're right, they're, a culture, I think, of, of still you know, high energy, high output uh, is always going to be winning culture. And how much of an advantage was it for you to come into the adaptive business, boots on the ground, working with customers to be the CEO today? Or if you came in as an external CEO, like I feel like you've just got such a leg up and advantage. You understand what it's like to work in those roles and you've worked through the, the obviously you've had various roles in adaptive as well. Like how much of an advantage has that been? An enormous advantage, Mark. Yeah, I, and and I couldn't understate what a huge advantage it is that that I've been with the business, you know, for a long time now. You know, all all told, it's it's 14 years worth of involvement with Adaptalift. I've worked through sales function. I've worked through all the operations functions, all the service and parts functions. I've worked through the rental function. You know, as recent as last night, you know, at 6.30, I was helping a rental coordinator to look up a service job and, and see if a tech had been allocated. So ha- having that knowledge and, and I think really understanding the heartbeat of the organisation is just incredibly helpful for me. Um, yeah. You know, I, I really think what it's enabled me to do, Mark, is to have a sense of reading the business and, and the mood of the business and understanding the things that, that, that I should do and the things that I shouldn't do. 
you know, it, it really has helped me in terms of guiding my compass uh, around the business. I think, uh, you know, there are very effective CEOs who come in, I think, for, for you know, quite specific purposes and, you know, quite specific agendas. But um, But for me personally, the other thing that was really important. I mentioned compatibility with the with the board and with the owners. Well, they all knew the business better than anyone. So, you know, if if uh, if I if I didn't have the understanding and the detail around the business, I think that level of collaboration between us would be would be far more challenging. Uh, because, you know, they've they've started the business from scratch and have seen it across, you know, forty plus years. Uh, so you're dealing with owners who know their business back to front. Um, so, so from that aspect, Mark, I couldn't uh, highlight more how, how important I think that's been uh, for the journey that uh, that I've been on in Adaptolift. Uh, it's been incredibly important. And so, what do you think has been the biggest challenge you've faced in your career so far? Well, I think uh, I definitely would say post GFC, uh, what we actually saw in Adaptolift was possibly the biggest challenge that that uh, that I've had to navigate through mark so we had you know interesting enough the GFC itself was was actually not too bad um, within the materials handling space it was actually quite a a reasonable period from a trade point of view what we saw I would say post GFC and it's probably coming off the back of the mining boom in the early 2000s or sorry in the early I think it was 2010, 2011, really, that the mining boom was starting to taper. So what we really saw was that we had all headwinds against us. You know, we had drops in valuations on used equipment. We had hyper-competition happening within the materials handling market. We had a very, very challenging trading conditions. And also we had... Uh, I think a, a finance environment that was quite tricky to navigate through too, Mark. So the funders coming off the back of the GFC were terribly nervous about business support. So a lot of the work that, that I think we did during that period was incredibly hard work. Um, at the time, really difficult to actually quantify your results and, and say all of the work we're doing is is not producing a short-term result. We knew it would eventually but probably unlike my earlier journey, Mark, I think I'd always seen in my earlier journey that I was able to have quite quick impacts on businesses. You know, I, you know, think things like the rec air branches, you know, that I was managing, I could quantify performance improvement really quickly in, in those businesses. The AH plant hire business was also, I think, a very much a business I could quantify my results very, very quickly. You know, within probably the our journey at Adaptolift, it was it was actually more a period where we were working really, really hard to try and have results that, that quite frankly, were likely to mature in a couple of years' time. And I think that really enabled me to to broaden my perspective on really long-term thinking. And you know, one of my great learnings during that period, Mark, was the benefit of not being short-sighted uh, and and really starting to look at your business and say, you must take these long-term horizons with your business, you know, making short-term decisions that have got poor long-term results is a really bad way to run your business. So so that great learning for me, it was a really tough period, but again, you know, some wonderful learnings around strategy, 
um, some wonderful learnings around people, um, some great learnings around things like capital management um, and dealing with third parties like your banking community, etc. And and that was, you know, again for me, from a rounded point of view, I think it was just the next leg of trying to keep on expanding my understanding of business more generally. And, you know, ultimately, Mark, it actually resulted in us refining our business model. You know, there was there was some real strategic decisions that came through. You know, we started to really warm towards it in about, you know, 2014, 2015, and we said there's actually some real changes in our business model we need to, to undertake. Uh, and, you know, the nature, I think, of our business, like lots of businesses, the decisions you make today, you know, quite often take a long time to come through. So, you know, we made some some changes in terms of, of our customer service business model. Uh, we made some, some, and they were quite dramatic changes. You know, we moved away from a a, a more traditional state-based type of structure to more of a matrix structure and, the, and a functional structure. We, we, we looked at our technology platforms, Mark, and, you know, I'm very much in the camp that I think there's the there's going to be people who are able to keep pace with issues like digital and and those who can't. And I, and I think we were starting to read that, you know, we'd, we'd already been a very, very tech-orientated business, but we realised in actual fact we need to sort of turbocharge our efforts around technology to improve our business plan, you know, which, which we're still working on, still executing on today. But that was almost, you know, one of those instances where, you know, I, I remember fondly a meeting I had with Peter Whiff and it was over in Singapore of all places but we we sat down and said this is actually a moment in time where we have to change the business model uh, and and we we just both realized that that, that was a, a significant change so you know some of the things mark that we have done is we've, we've significantly increased our uh, participation in short-term rental uh, which again with my background is 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 kind of a very compatible piece, but but you know when I first joined Adaptive Left, short-term rental was not a huge part of our business. It was primarily long-term contract rentals, whereas today short-term rentals is a huge part of our business, and it and it remains core to our strategy in the future. So so you know those those periods again are very memorable for me. Hard work and uh, you know plenty of um, moments, Mark, of 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 you know wondering if you're on the right direction and you know again I think anyone who's honest about these things has those moments of feeling like you're on top of your game and other moments where you're going geez am I doing this right so but but ultimately um, you know I'm really pleased that we made a lot of the decisions that we did. Yeah that's great and so who do you think played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective in your career? Oh look, early days. Um, I mentioned with the with the Rec Air guys, um, that was a terrific experience in terms of I had a whole group of people around me who were just really high performing. Like even even in hindsight, Mark, a lot of those people have have gone on to do some great things. You know, people like David Batson, you know, who works in Ali Mac Heck, was was my my first real sales manager. You know, David's now in a global role over with Ali Mackeck and um, Keith Carroll was was very instrumental with me uh, in my early days at, at Rec Air. Keith was, uh, you know, I would I'd use words like Keith put me under his wing, and uh, and I and I 
I needed that and I valued that greatly and I still value that greatly. You know, there was, you know, people like, you know, Daniel Blizzard and, uh, you know, later Steve Putris and, and Shane Bennett and a whole host of other people, Mark, that it would take me too long to go through it. But but I, I had, you know, all these wonderful people. You know, Kerry Wanham was a branch manager in Rec Air who I worked with for a long time. She was incredibly influential, you know, because I saw what level of support I got from Kerry. Uh, so all those people were very influential. Um, you know, David Isaacs, who, who ultimately ran Rec Air uh, and who ran AH Plant High, was very influential for me. David was a was a was a, a great um, he was he was a great understander of, of of reading the play and seeing what was about to happen and he was a great strategy guy uh, and a, and a great commercial guy so David um, was was very influential um, you know and and the guys that I worked with at, at AH Plant High Richard Greenwood who's still very much involved in the rental industry was was very influential. But but I w- would also say, you know, a lot of the the people that were part of my teams were very influential too. And you know, in more recent times, uh, you know, the Whiffen family, Mark's been very influential in terms of of my uh, uh, my uh, you know business understanding and business career. So I've I've been you know I feel blessed in many respects, Mark, that I've just managed to find you know really good people and and either I sort them out uh, without knowing it, Mark, or they sort me out. However, it's happened. Uh, you know, I've certainly been blessed that I feel like I've had um, some tremendous people along my journey, uh, and and uh, you know, I'm I'm really at that stage. You know, I'm, I'm I'm turning 50, Mark, very shortly, and I'm at that giving back stage now, where where I just want I want to give back, and and I want I want people, you know, hopefully to remember me fondly, and and think about things like. You know that I, I I put put them under my wing and um, and that I gave back to actually the industry that I think has actually given me so much. Uh, so you know I'm I'm very hopeful that um, that that that's the result that I get from uh, from from a lot of the people that I work with today. That um, you know hopefully I'm giving them that experience, Mark, that they talk about fondly in the future. And so if you could give advice to young Steve back in the day, what would you say? Oh, look, young Steve back in the day was 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 probably a bit more fiery than fifty year old <laughs> Steve. So, um, I, I look, I think the the advice would be, you know, very much that uh, that you know continuing to to learn and continuing to evolve is is a key part of your your business education. You know, there, there's some things again that if if I look back, Mark, I, I probably think I made them harder on myself than I need to. But I think a lot of people would say that too. Um, you know, on the the wisdom front, uh, the 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 real you know advice I'd give young Steve is to actually have some patience and to have the patience to actually stick the course and and to have a plan around what you actually want to do. You know, whether that's running your own business or furthering your career. You know, however you you want to try and channel your energy. You know, one of the things I'm observing, you know, within the dynamic of, of workforces today is that is that that patience aspect, Mark, I think is something that, that we've, we've got to try and, you know, there's a lot of talk about engagement and, and, and you know, working with people. But I, I do sort of encourage a lot of the younger people that I work with that there's also a requirement to keep your stepping stones going. 
make sure that you are being quite strategic in terms of things like your stepping stones and your development and your career development and you know have the patience to actually navigate through that um, which which sometimes is easier said than done when you're 25 or, or 30 years old mark but um, you know ultimately that advice was given to me I think as a young young person at, at the time I, I, I think I probably brushed it off but but ultimately I would still um, you know really encourage people and say look it's a it's a long journey uh, a working life and a career and um, it will definitely have its ups and downs but being patient and being quite resilient and quite strong I think are things that, that really always went out um, so, you know, that would be my advice to young Steve. So we're going to do a, a rapid fire section where I'm going to ask you some quick questions and we'll have some quick answers. And there's not too many of them, but I think it'd be good just to learn a little bit more about who is Steve Taylor. So start off with, where did you grow up? Mornington Peninsula, beautiful part of the world, Mark. My, my folks had farms down the Mornington Peninsula and, uh, and I grew up being an avid surfer, uh, not surfing as much at the moment, but hoping to get back into it. And how do you start your day? Generally with a strong coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, I actually do quite specifically take a quiet 15, 20 minutes, Mark, just to have a coffee, calibrate my thoughts. I generally don't turn the television on. Um, I'll, I'll sit at the table and, if anything, just start to try and make sure I've, I've aligned my own thoughts in terms of what I want to try and get through for the day. Very good. When are you the most productive? Six, I would say 6 p.m. till about 7.30 p.m. Uh, I've, I've, I've got a real golden period there. But generally, the office is cleared out by then, Mark. So, uh, so I, I use that time, and I think I make pretty good headway during that period. What are some of your hobbies outside of work? I mentioned surfing a little bit earlier, so, so I love surfing. I've, it probably, probably in more recent times, you know, I've just tried to, to keep fit. And uh, so running, I've, I've got a little personal training group that's really social. So, so they've kind of become real mates. And, um, you know, I, I love spending time with them. So I've, I've, I, that training group for me has been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, my, my family is very, very dear to me. So I love spending time with my two girls and my wife. Um, and, um you know, I've got a few a few building projects and things on the go, Mark. So uh, that's uh, at the moment, that's about about it for me. And what's your most memorable past holiday? We did the trip to Europe just before the global pandemic, Mark, and I, and I had my wife and two girls over there, and we travelled through France and Italy, and we had the most amazing weather. And it was it, it'll be memories I share for for the rest of my life. It was. Uh, I just I was so glad and so pleased that we managed to get that holiday in before the pandemic hit uh, because we just would have lost the opportunity totally. Um, and uh, yeah, we had a wonderful time. And what book or podcast are you reading or listening to at the moment? I've actually been been listening to Money News um, as a podcast quite a lot, Mark. It's a, it's a bit of a general business podcast, but I've actually found it very helpful just for keeping up to date and keeping in touch with a lot of the issues of the day. I've been uh, been listening to a couple of other podcasts. I'm a bit of a, a fan of rural news as well, Mark. So I listen to a lot of the ABC Listen app um, podcasts around uh, rural rural news and rural events. So um, that's uh, that's what I'm into. 
Very good. That's obviously outside of the Rental Journal podcast, yeah? That's our, that's 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 only on top of the rental podcast. <laughs> that's it. That's it. All right, well, that's it for the rapid fire round. Uh, so the final question we have, you can take a bit more time on this answer. You don't have to rush this one. Is how do you define success? Well, I think for for me, um, the layers around success nowadays are uh, there's there's base requirements that, that I think you have to be successful. You've got to run a business fundamentally that's got you know, solid commercial and financial foundations. That, that's just a that's just a layer that's kind of a you have to have that. After that, you know, really the the voice of the customer for me has become so important. You know, it's always been important, but it's been amplified for me louder and louder and louder. Um, and I would say that's probably in the last ten years. So that voice of the customer for me and seeing happy customers and customers that are trusting you, customers that have got a relationship with your organisation, I'm putting a massive value stamp on that. And, of course, you know, your staff and and their safety and well-being and their engagement and how they feel about the organisation, you know, for me, that that is a huge barometer of success. You know, um, you've kind of got to have enough resources to run your business but after that it's all about customers and it's all about your people and you know in more recent times I'm also looking at the progress we're making around uh, around our IT area as, as a barometer of future success mark uh, that that to me is is very much a, as I mentioned earlier for, it, it will be a, a transformation step that uh, you know I encourage most businesses to, to consider where they sit in that equation um, so, so that's that's very much my barometer, Mark, and and I'm trying to keep in touch with those issues all the time. All right, Steve. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. It's a pleasure, Mark. I really appreciate you inviting me. This podcast episode was brought to you by our premier partner, Kenart's Hire.